Hello and welcome to the podcast, How Did You End Up Here? I'm Jamie Hare and I'm talking to people in interesting jobs and finding out what path they took to get there. This week I'm talking to lecturer, artist and researcher, Susie Angus. Susie, thank you very much for giving me some time. Can you just start by introducing yourself and telling us what it is that you have been doing as a career for the last number of years? Yeah, um, I'm Susie Angus and I have just finished being a senior lecturer in communications, media and culture. It used to be film and media. And I started work... Ooh, it was actually 1990, uh, um, I did some TA work, uh, but I got my main contract in 1993, so it's quite a while ago. Quite a while, excellent. Now, if we can just go back to the start, you are you're, uh, born in Gala Shields, yes. grew up in the Borders area. Yes. Um, when people asked you when you were younger, you know, Susie, what do you want to do when you grow up? What was your answer? Do you know, I had a number of thoughts. Um, I really fancied being um, something to do with, with, with music because um, I learned piano when I was a kid, but I also did dancing classes and I loved dancing. In fact, I did I did dancing up until my mid-late 30s okay. in a number of, of you know genres, if you, if you like. Yeah, I, was, yeah. I was part of something called Stirling Dance Theatre. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Um, I know, it was brilliant. So... I, I thought it was going to be something in the arts, but then, of course, parents always think, well, you can't really get a job with that. Sure, sure. So you're good at languages, so you should do that and go to university and become a teacher. And I thought, no, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> so um, I actually didn't go to university when I was 18. Okay. And um, much to the, the upset in the household, I just thought, I can't do this right now. And uh, I went to work in um, a factory, Lyle and Scott mm-hmm. in Hoyk, for a year. Yeah. And then I thought, now I'll do something. Yeah. So um, so I went to Aberdeen and I did, uh, you'll laugh at this, you'll, you will laugh, business studies with languages. Right. <laughs> but I think awesome. basically it was just so that I could get out of the house. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and move far away. <laughs> I don't imagine sitting in a suit or anything like that and... Uh, <laughs> Talking takeover deals and things like that. God no, no, no. no. But it was it was good. I had yeah. a good time in Aberdeen. Yeah, and that was that. It's a good it's a good city. And did you think that you took the fact that you took a year to go into the workforce to before you actually uh, went to university? Do you think that really was that helped you? I think it did. Um, I think I needed to just find out who I was at the time. You know, because there were so many pressures on me as um, the third sibling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and neither my brother or sister had gone to university okay. so it was this last hope and I think I felt that pressure so I thought right. no, no and uh, you know I just got some money together and and then decided I wanted to leave home Yeah, yeah, which I suppose and I often, you often find that that means you know, the person has really given it some given it some thought although it, it would you know it seems like <laughs> a course that is probably not doesn't suit you really but, but you at least gave it some thought and you're maybe rather than just going for the sake of it I know uh-huh. I know um, and uh, it was after that that uh, you know after a couple of years of doing some temporary jobs um, I got my first main job which mm-hmm. was the National Library of Scotland okay. in, Edinburgh, in Edinburgh which was amazing I did I did actually like it mm-hmm. um, it was very poorly paid yeah. my title was 
museum curator grade G. Okay. Which was the lowest of the low. Right. And um, I worked in the antiquarian section, okay. which meant um, opening up ancient books from all around the world. Wow. So can you talk about anything specific that really grabbed you at the oh, time? Oh, I mean... Some of the things were incredible, um, old Bibles, mm-hmm. uh, certainly, but the things that really struck a chord with me were the, <laughs> I can't remember what the exact name is that um, it's called, but it's the last statements of people before they're hanged. Wow. And people would sit around at the bottom of the gallows and write down what these people said, right. and then they would print them up. and uh, you would get a lot of these things in, and people had doodled on them and they'd written other things in hand, and it Mm. was incredible. And, Mm. of course, where when I worked at the the NLS, um, the stacks downstairs included the condemned cell where people would be taken up Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, we were right next door to the the advocates' library in the court. Wow. So it was was kind of strange going down into these... Mm. These, which were all full of, of journals and old, yeah, old yeah. books, but the condemned cell was down there and yeah. that was one of the first things that you were showing really, when you started. Really touching history there. And it was incredible. And the record of it as well. Yeah. So um, unusual things, and I always found the things that had been handwritten mm. um, was more fascinating yeah. than anything else. Of course, yeah. But, uh, but one of the worst jobs was actually pagination, where you would be given either really big books or microfilm and you had to go through each of them and make sure that all the numbers were in the right order. Oh dear, right, that's <laughs> laborious. Yes, even um, old old newspapers like mm. the original Times when oh. when it came out and I just used to get sidetracked and I would read all the articles and the adverts. Just and through curiosity and... Brilliant. Yeah, so you <clears throat> firstly obviously it was a, a job to start off with and then, but it opened your eyes and probably you found lots of interesting stories and that sort of thing, which obviously oh, yeah. is relevant to what, to what you're doing now or what you're doing now. But mm. um, Wow, and so how long were you in Edinburgh for? Well, I was at that job a couple of years. Then I went to another job in Edinburgh, which was with Johnson & Johnson, mm-hmm. and I was called a specification writer, which was uh, writing up the processes of people who made um, sutures mm. and needles and technical specs. So I worked in a lab. Yeah, okay. And uh, I wore a white coat. Right, so you're a scientist. <laughs> well, I like to pretend that, yeah, but yeah, uh, but yeah um, that's what I used to do. And I would go into various aspects of the the uh, the factory mm-hmm. and um, and just watch what people did and so that somebody new coming into the job would know exactly what to do. So I wrote up. It's like time in motion almost. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and from there... Did, did you decide to stay in Edinburgh? Did you enjoy living in Edinburgh? I it's did. It's obviously got a different vibe of its own, especially when we're recording this in August. Obviously, it's yes. alive at the moment. So, did you enjoy that side of Edinburgh? Well, I'll tell you, I used to work, uh, no, I used to live in Dundas Street and I would walk to work um, up to the, the National Library and that was brutal trying mm-hmm. to get through the crowds mm-hmm. and all the people with flyers and yeah. everything else. Um, so, in one way, it was great to be around it all, but another way, living through it was just. Pain in the backside. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> so so, it obviously brings up some days you're not in the mood for. Oh no! Everybody uh, being jolly and, and juggling. Like and you've, the, got, you've got things to do. <laughs> if I have to be somewhere. Yeah, yeah. You can't just casually walk through and see what's happening. Yeah, yeah. but I was right in the middle of it, working there. Yeah. So, oh, uh, but with 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 Ethicon, which no longer exists, um, I left that in 1986, mm. came to Stirling, and um, 
I went to university here at okay. Stirling. What were you studying here? Uh, it was sociology and film and media. Okay. But I also did fine art and uh, there were a number of courses available then that you can't have now, mm-hmm. like music right. as well. The fine art course was fantastic. Because I was, well, I was going to ask, so um, looking through your you know, your various uh, online profiles, LinkedIn, <laughs> whatnot, uh, I can see that obviously you have, um, you know, you're, a, you're an artist, um, you are a sound designer, stained glass maker. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I've missed anything out. Obviously, you told me you were musically and you danced as well. So it's obviously, have you always been creative? Has that been, you know, when you were a child, were you drawing and painting? And yeah, always, always. Um, the the family was a bit like that, actually. Yeah. My brother uh, plays instruments. He was never taught, but right. um, he, he plays guitar and, okay. and all sorts of other stringed instruments. Mm. Um, and my mother played the piano. And my dad played the ukulele. Okay, brilliant. <laughs> we didn't all play together. No, I have to no. Say. Could have um, been a band. <laughs> and my mother, um, who was from Glasgow, she when she had been growing up, she'd always been really um, involved with music mm-hmm. and and dancing. And I think okay. I'd, and, and I'm not saying that she pushed me into that, but yeah. took a um, bit of that inspiration. Yeah. yeah. So um, I loved all that. Yeah. And so when you came to Stirling, did that? Um, did you find an out- you found an outlet for that just in the course and, and be able to develop that further? Um, I think the course actually. Well, I was I was married um, by the time I, I came here. I was a mature student, and uh, I think my university life was kind of separate to the community life mm. because I had friends yeah. uh, in Stirling, and I went to this thing called Stirling Dance Theatre, mm-hmm. which started up in nineteen eighty six. Stirling in the nineteen eighties was a real. Uh, a trailblazer for arts uh-huh. because we had a writer in residence, a dancer in residence, you know, um, different artists in residence, and the the council um, really put a lot of effort into making um, opportunities, you know, for for a variety of mm-hmm. people around the area. <coughs> Excuse me, and um, it was it was tremendous, mm-hmm. and we got funding, um, so there was lots of opportunity there. Yeah. Brilliant. And so and that obviously, sort of being surrounded in that atmosphere, it must it obviously lends itself to collaboration and to and just to be inspired, maybe inspired by other people you're not necessarily working with, but to be, uh, but to be in that space in that area, and perhaps maybe the, with the mindset that that comes with that, that that, that, that must lend itself to that, um, you know, a, a great environment to work in. I think so. Um, I mean, when I started uh, doing film and media, especially, mm. um, it was it was something that I had. I didn't really know why I was interested. I just knew I was interested. Yeah, yeah. And it was the the film courses, particularly because yeah. I've always loved films. Sure. Um, my my whole family, you know, we we were massive, massive film watchers. Um, so I, I got that. But it was also the politics of what was going on in the media as well so it just seemed a natural fit that, that and um, a lot of the courses are just it was such a joy yeah just to come along and, and listen to what people were saying yeah um, and also it was new yeah because I hadn't gone to university 10 years previously yeah. you know I was in, I was in my late 20s so therefore mm-hmm. I was maybe more up for learning and yeah. finding myself and actually to, yeah. which was great and what sort of things what sort of things did you study? You know, can you give us an example of sort of things you might work on, you might have worked on, and what the people 
you know, what, what your lecturers would have spoken to you about? And, and right, well, there was um, there was a guy actually. He was he was in sociology, and um, uh, he was a fantastic lecturer. He was so inspirational. His name's Jim Valentine, mm-hmm. and um, I remember uh, talking to him about. Well, it was the sociology of culture was one of the courses, and I'd brought in film course mm-hmm. and some of the journalism as, as well and looked at it in an anthropological way, but also sociological. And it just seemed like the opportunities to study and research mm. were vast. Yeah. And he made it so interesting um, and different ways of bringing along cultural objects and just discussing them. Um, it was, I mean, for me, very new. And I think it was probably, well, this is the 80s, right yeah. enough. It was probably quite new as well. But he just had that knack of being able to inspire students and make them want to do well. Yeah. And, and he just made everything interesting. Yeah, yeah. It was never a chore. I had okay. had some lecturers who were very sweet people, mm-hmm. but would come in and read their notes. Right. And then shuffle off. Right, OK. And it's just, it was... So when I eventually started to have to do that, which was terrifying, absolutely terrifying, um, I tried to think about what my lectures had done to make it sort of interesting. Interesting. And did you? I think you mentioned fine art there. Was that part of the course as well? And did you say originally? Yes. Uh huh. we were taken to Kelvin Grove and also um, other galleries in Edinburgh, and uh, you know we were we were taken to specific paintings, and the lecturer would stand in front of them, and, right. and you know, brilliant. Yeah. But also, you know, you would sit in a small room and you would look at, at slides and you would discuss um, where it was called the cl- classical tradition and where modern art is connected to classical. Uh, uh, classical forms, so um, it was just it was just a lot of laugh and uh, laughs, and he had <laughs> such great trivia about some of the artists. Okay. Um, there's an artist called Fra Filippo Lippi, mm-hmm. and he he was a monk of some sort, um, but also um, a painter, and uh, it, <laughs> he. Um, he had a lot of friends who were nuns, let's right. say. Okay, okay. <laughs> but but other other sort of a family feuds that yeah. people would do things to paintings when they were left out in the sun to dry. Right. And, you know, so okay. he had all sorts of of different kind of gossipy bits to right. fill in, which was just brilliant. So when yeah. you look at something, oh yeah, I remember what he did. Yeah, what? Yeah. So you can put, get some context for the picture. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, and does that inspire your own um, your own works? So I, I know that you you, you work with acrylics and water, watercolor, yes, I've done that. Um, pastels, and is there? Do you have a specific? Uh, well, I've got two questions. Firstly, do you have a specific um, like style or a specific inspiration for that? And secondly, do, do the different um, do the different mediums, whether it be acrylics or watercolor, does that depend on? Maybe the mood you're in, or how you're feeling, or you know, is, it, is there a reason you would pick one over another at a specific I would, time? I would, yeah, I mean, I I started um, painting again uh, in the early nineties. <coughs> excuse me, and um, my first husband had died, and I'd wanted to just go on a holiday, mm. and I looked for something where 
a young woman could go on her own and be safe. Mm-hmm. And I saw this thing in the south of France where you it was a painting holiday. So I thought, OK. And I went and it just opened my eyes mm-hmm. and my heart and everything else yeah, yeah. up because it took me a few days before I could actually get a brush yeah. to paper. Right. And uh, the, the the tutor just said, OK, we're just going to play. We're mm-hmm. going to pretend we're children and we're going to play with paint. And mm-hmm. the, the main thing is, don't be afraid. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, when we're, we're kids, we're quite often told, you're not doing that right yeah, yeah, when yeah. you're painting. So that was all in watercolour. She was a watercolour specialist. And um, she she helped me. Uh, just overcome that fear but also did some drawing and some pastel work and what I found was that I tend to work quite quickly so anything I do is is, it's all based on colour and it is slightly abstract Um, and eventually I went on and I did some open college courses Mm. and that was with acrylics and um, I have have sold some stuff Mm -hmm. and I've had the odd exhibition um, it's a few years ago now, but I found that I can be a little bit more expressive with acrylics, mm-hmm. and also you can put different material into it so that you can layer it on either with a spatula yeah. or even your fingers. Okay. One of the exercises was drawing with your fingers, and I, it felt like that was so wrong in every yeah. aspect, and actually it was really freeing. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think I. I'm trying to think of, of, of some of the, the things that I've done where nothing is particularly realistic. Yeah. Sometimes it's just working with colour mm-hmm. and texture. Sure. And, uh, you know, that's... It, it's quite freeing. Mm-hmm. It, because I, I guess that uh, the course and, and the way you've described it, it the idea is to, to free yourself of rules and regulations yeah. and restrictions and... De- as you said, you perhaps have drilled into you when you're a child or whatever, and there's no, you know, when it comes to art, there's literally no right and wrong. It's just I know what. And the thing is, my my, like. my father um, was very uh, good artist in terms of realism. He mm-hmm. was never trained, mm-hmm. but he had a gift of being able to do fantastic pen and ink sketches, and mm-hmm. it was just superb. And my brother went to art college. Um, and he did different types of stuff. But I always felt in the family that I was not... I wasn't the artist, I was the musician or the dancer. Sure. So you have these roles in your yeah, family. Yeah. I'm sure it's the same um, yeah. with, with with your family. And so that was another hurdle to get over. And then just to sort of, you know, think, there's nothing wrong with my work. This yeah. is just what I produce. Yeah. So... So very much based around colour and texture and with stained glass again it is colour and yeah. um, I, I started a course, oh it must have been about 10 years ago in Dunblane, I right. uh, went along with a friend and, and just loved it. Yeah. I'm it, not saying my soldering is brilliant well, but... No, no, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well again, is there a right and wrong in soldering I suppose? Uh, well, <laughs> you can be neater. <laughs> yeah. And did, would there be a, you know, would, would there be a, a, a one of those uh, forms that you prefer, and and or uh, as I say, would would there be you know if you're feeling up or down, or, or that, that would make you f- you know like I, I see you do some modelling clay as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do, so would there be is there something that 
lends itself better to a specific thing, or is it just whatever, however the notion takes. I think you? it's 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 how how the the notion takes me. I mean, at the moment, I'm working on um, a five panel uh, piece in stained glass okay. um, for an exhibition, <clears throat> um, and that is a part of something called Justice Journeys, um, which is for about a dozen of survivors of child sex abuse mm-hmm. and uh, that is coming up quite soon not sure when but mm-hmm. it's it's part of a Glasgow University project sure. so uh, so I've just finished that um, I've got to burnish it and I've got to get them framed um, so that's what I've sure. been doing for the last that's few weeks I know that's obviously something that's uh, you're a campaigner on uh, to, to change the law and that sort of thing so that yes perhaps l- lends itself into to that as well and something you can do that's I, I can imagine it's uh, it's constructive as well and, and, and can you know can channel that energy in, in, in a different way as well that, that I think that's that's true and I, I find that when I do something like that my mind clears mm-hmm. so it's quite therapeutic yeah. uh, you know other thoughts kind of just go you're just yeah. focused on mm-hmm. what you're doing at that moment yeah. and I think that's a healthy thing yeah certainly for me absolutely and I know that for some of the others who do writing or sculpture or I'm interested to see what the others have come up with um, it'll be the same mm-hmm. although I suppose if you're writing it's more of a thought of you're thinking about things as you're writing sure. so maybe it's not therapeutic in the same way as a different uh, and so I was going to ask what when you do uh, when you have an exhibition and you're exhibiting art does that come from you know a specific specific theme or specific purpose like, like, like what you've just been talking about or you know for your watercolours or when you've previously sold paintings and I know you've you've exhibited um, through in Edinburgh and that sort of thing do you, do, does that come from a theme or do you just like to paint and then then say well I wonder where I can take this painting is that how, how's this what, to, to, to someone who's clueless in that department how, you, how does it how does this sort of process work do you know what I'm, I'm not very sure I think I think it possibly depends on how I'm feeling at the time. When I was doing the courses, obviously there were themes that mm. you had to work to, but generally I think I would maybe find something where I was focusing on plant life, mm-hmm. you know, with with colours, or yeah. seascapes, or skyscapes. Yeah. Um, I did one piece, and I'm actually really sorry I gave it away, but uh, my husband is very interested in astronomy. And there are some fantastic images out there in colour of galaxies. Mm. And uh, I did I did this one, which was watercolour, and there was pastel in it, gouache uh, and salt. And um, I really wish I hadn't given it away because it's probably my favourite one. But, well, yeah. It still exists. So <laughs> it that's still exists somewhere. It's not, uh, it's not, it's not gone. It's just, just um, somewhere else. But that was, that was fantastic. There was uh, also... Um, photographs of the earth from afar that mm. look quite abstract and yeah. I've done ah, quite okay. a few things with those oh. um, where you, you don't know what it is but it actually is something yeah. so it's it's maybe a crater yeah. or part of a jungle or part of a river mm. um, but it just looks like something else so yeah. um, I work with that And when you see your work in an exhibition it must be such a rewarding experience because I can imagine you know to, to create a number of works must be a labo- you know, an enjoyable process, but a labo- you know, but a long one, I guess, and and it, so it must be such a massive sense of reward when you see it there yeah. and you see people come to enjoy it, and 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 obviously, ultimately, 
pr- prove their enjoyment by putting some money down. You know, <laughs> yes. uh, I know that's like they said not maybe not the goal of the whole thing, but it's but it's a, you know it's another nice. Well, it makes me feel like I'm not useless. Mm. I think that's very. Mm. <laughs> that sounds underwhelming. No, no. But um, and I've I've not had lots of exhibitions, but a or or exhibited much. But when you hear people discussing your work, saying, mm. "I wonder how she did that," yeah. that's that's great fun. It must be fascinating. Yeah. And uh, there was um, a, a guy that I met on a writing course some years ago. He is a poet, and he asked me to um, do a, a paint a piece for one of his poems, but also the front cover of his book of poems. Wow. So there's a, there's a little book out there with. Uh, with my, with, with something of mine on the front cover, yeah, yeah. just amazing. Wow, that is amazing, yeah, fantastic. Um, so that was that was lovely, and I, uh, for the opening um, of of or the publication of his of his book, uh, I took down a number of paintings, which is one of those was was gone. Mm. I shouldn't have taken the the galaxy oh. one. Oh. I still miss that. Oh dear. <laughs> Not to, do you know what it is? And you, can you still visit it? Or? No, I can't. I can't. Oh, no. no, long gone. No, but <laughs> the other the other thing I know that you're you're super passionate about and is sounds and sounds getting and radio and that sort of thing. When did you first fall in love with that? And you know when? What was the? Can you remember the first sounds that made you set up and go? Oh wow, that's really wonderful. Well, I mean, my mum and dad always had the radio on, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's something that I always grew up with. I think people of a, of a certain age, because I'm very old, obviously. Not, not at all. <laughs> uh, you know, you're just used to having it on and listening to lots of different types of things. And one of my first memories is uh, Listen With Mother, which is, God, you can imagine having a programme like that now. But anyway, <laughs> me just sitting on the settee and settling down to listen to the radio, mm. especially for me, yeah. with my little legs sat yeah. out. I must have been about two. Oh, brilliant. And um, it, was, it was just amazing hearing stories being told and and music coming out and mm. strange sounds so I didn't really think about it that much until I started doing my degree here mm. and then there was the uh, the bid to get a community radio going mm-hmm. um, which happened in 1989 but some tutors here asked students like myself to go along and get trained and do things and you know try and work out how it would uh, come to pass, really. And then I graduated and I was then, you know, suddenly being a researcher mm. for Centre Sound, as it was. And, and Centre Sound didn't last that long. So many reasons why it didn't last like that long. That was in Stirling? Stirling, yes, yeah. it was Stirling. And uh, then the, the fourth group, mm-hmm. uh, Clyde and T, they took it over and... I always remember people being sort of shunted into this office where Sandy, I can't remember his second name, but he was uh, the head of Radio T, was speaking to people and basically telling people that they were no longer required. And I wasn't one of them. Okay. Kept me on. Mm-hmm. And uh, then just said, okay. You can you can be a researcher, but we also want a religious program 
do you know anything about religion? I said, not really. He said, oh, that'll do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was a strong enough uh, yes. response. Yeah, Not really, yeah. Uh, so, Could be worse. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I, I I did the religious programmes, uh, the Thoughts for the Day and Features, mm-hmm. and I was just, you know... Awesome. You've done some at, yeah. at uh, university. You know the area really well. Yeah. And uh, you, you've proved that you can... You can you know the technicalities, mm-hmm. so here, here we are. Yeah. So I worked I worked there for a couple of years, and then I started to do some teaching here. Mm-hmm. And then somebody came one day and said, "We want to expand the production uh, modules. Mm-hmm. Um, can I just see what you do during a day, yeah. a day's work?" So they just watched me, and they said, "Right, um, can you come and deliver this module?" This semester, and here I am. Here you are, still to this very day. <laughs> yeah. So you must have seen, um, because obviously you, you know, you, you mentioned being a mature student at university. I went to my first year at university. I was thirty-one. Um, someone in the class was sixteen, and that was a frightening moment. But. Uh, <laughs> But you've obviously get, so you get people at various stages of their lives, whether they're just from school and they're wide-eyed and ready to find something, or if they've worked a decade in sales and they're thinking, I don't want to do this anymore, I need to find something else. And I think your colleague, I've maybe we've mentioned our colleague Jenny Ann McCracken. She was a mature student, so you. And, yes, and, and, I, I was her. Um, I was her advisor. So well, that's what's, so you've you've got you're getting people <laughs> at various stages of, of their life, and I'm sure. In fact, I'm not sure. I know for a fact that many people will think of Susie Angus and go, "Well, she made a massive difference in my life," and it must be must be quite a rewarding thing and, and quite an interesting thing as well to have people at various stages of their of their lives. I hope so. And in fact, um, since I resigned. Um, I have another three weeks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, since I resigned, a number of past students have, have been in touch and there's one that really sticks with me. And, I mean, it, it sounds a bit sort of mushy, but actually this this uh, woman works in radio drama. Okay. Now, she had worked for uh, the, the BBC in a number of, of different ways, but she's now in radio drama. And um, it was because of the course that she did here with me mm-hmm. that she fell in love with that. I helped her over okay. the years. She always tried to get into the drama department, but it's terribly difficult because it's quite niche. Mm. She's finally there. And uh, she wrote a little email to me and said, just this year um, I had chosen Book at Bedtime and the announcer said... And the producer was Claire Simpson. And she said, you were the first person I wanted to tell. She said, because I would not be here if it was not for you. Awesome. And that actually, irrespective of everything else I've done, Mm. that just makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That somebody is in their dream job because of me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So that's... But it's only the truth, though, Susie. (laughs) She didn't make that up. And um, so... As well as as well as teaching, obviously you're still working actively. You still, I know you still make, you still record sounds and things. Yes. D- d- is there anything you specifically like to record, or you would you would like to record? What's what sort of what sort of work do you do on that on that field? Well, um, a variety of things actually. Uh, Jane Ann and I were at an exhibition a couple of weeks ago uh, at the Botanics, mm-hmm. and it, I think it's on until the end of August. It's called 
beneath the blanket mm -hmm. and it's about the flow country on top of Scotland. And what people have done, um, they've used hydroponic um, microphones and all sorts mm -hmm. of other things to get unusual sounds mm -hmm. of water and bird life and you name it. But also people have uh, written poetry or they've just got different words for the type of um, flora and fauna that's up mm -hmm. there. And they've got this fantastic exhibition where you walk through the botanics at night and there are 10 exhibitions and you will maybe go up to a tree and there's strange sounds coming out of it okay. and speakers all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Or else some speakers have been created into look like flowers mm. and uh, and then there's another thing where water dips down and something clatters and yeah. it's just wonderful i yeah. would love to be able to do something like right. that i was in orkney uh, last year mm -hmm. and there are some amazing soundscapes at the um, some cliffs yeah. where the water goes in under um, well stacks mm. or whatever and it sounds like gunfire, right. oh. but you also have the sounds of the birds echoing. They, they sound like ghost birds. Mm -hmm. So you've got this amazing sound. Oh. But you think, what is that? Yeah, Where is that yeah. coming from? And I know that the, the Peer Arts Centre in Stromness had uh, asked somebody a few years ago to do soundscapes of caves around mm. the islands. I mean, that would be such a dream job. Yeah, yeah. Because awesome. you've... There's a number of challenges there, obviously, the physical challenges of getting in the right spot. How do you, you know, what's the right uh, equipment to, to be able to capture such a thing? So Yes, I don't have a parabolic reflector, well, I'm afraid. <laughs> if there's anybody listening who does, uh, can, uh, but, uh, but no, that's, that, that's, that sounds wonderful. And it's a, a way of taking the, you know... Uh, well, you always notice if you watch if you watch a film or whatever, I really, you can really notice a soundscape, and a really good soundscape can take... Uh, a film from being a good film to oh. like I watched the I watched a film uh, about Maradona the football player recently and you know some of the the sounds in it are you know you could hear him kicking the ball which clearly at the time they did they weren't set up for but they've gone and created a soundscape and I listened to an interview with the director and the 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 person in charge of the soundscape took the effort to research how heavy a football was in, say, 1984 to make sure they got an accurate sound. Brilliant. And then in, in 1990, to, you know, by comparison. So it it definitely can elevate, uh, you know, something good to something really oh, special. Oh, completely. If you ever get a chance, and I'll try and find the link for you, um, there's a documentary called Into the Wind. I think it was on about three years ago. Okay. And... It's a slow documentary, so it's this guy who is a sound recordist and he's got this gigantic boom. I mean, it really is mm. so huge. And he is walking very slowly over Fenland, mm -hmm. uh, down in East Anglia, towards a beach. And he finally gets to the beach. And the last five minutes, I, I, I was almost in tears oh. because he's standing there and he, it's very difficult mm. to record sound proper yeah. uh, wind properly yeah. very difficult i've never mastered it <laughs> and he's standing there but you can see his face um, mm. is absolutely being blown back by mm. this ferocious wind and then there's some uh, medieval music comes in thomas tallis comes in and then he says i am 
I am the first thing this wind has hit over hundreds of miles. And he starts to think about all... It's, it's kind of strange, sort of the birds or mm. even the dead birds, ghosts. Yeah, are yeah. they all in this wind? Wow. And it's, it's stunning. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely stunning. Yeah, and wow. uh, I, I, I sometimes gave my uh, documentary students that oh, okay. just to look at, just to think you yeah. don't actually have to have a voice all no. the time. No you know, with something like that. It's really worth watching. Beautiful. Well, when I was a student, there was uh, one of my lecturers, who's a good friend of mine, Chris, he played as a... I can't remember the name of it, but it was an eight-minute play and there was no dialogue whatsoever. It was just... Uh, it wasn't Andrew Sachs. Yes, it was, yeah. That's exactly what it was. Well, we met. <laughs> yes. Brilliant. Did you play it to your students? Oh, yes. It's Scottish students all a around. A long time ago, but yes. it's very good, though. So, uh, it's very so hard. There's a good reason that people use it because it's... Um, but, yeah. But, but so, and it's, uh, anyway, and I always, you know, as someone who, you know, it's, talks, you know, works in video or, or teaches video and that sort of thing, you always say that you can put up with an inter- with interference in the picture, but you cannot put up with it in sound, and it's so so important it's true. To, in any in any video or film or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, now you've obviously been talking about uh, you talk about resigning from your from the position <laughs> and that sort of thing. So, as we record this in August twenty nineteen, where where are you at? You're uh, you're about to move into a, sli- a different a different role. Can you can you tell me yeah. about that? Well, a lot of it I'm still to find out about, mm. but uh, the thing um, that I'm going to be doing is working with three other researchers uh, from three different universities, Glasgow, Lancaster and Queen Mary. Um, and it's all to do with the cinema archive from the 1930s. Mm-hmm. And what I have been asked to do is to consider how to do or how to create and produce a walking app for um, people in Glasgow Mm -hmm. and Manchester Mm -hmm. going back to the archive, using the archive and walking in the areas where the old cinemas were. Wow. So that's as much as I know. Um, I would like to... (coughs) Excuse me. I I would like to to get a little bit more research uh, first done and go down to the archive in Lancaster uh, my colleague, current colleague soon to be Glasgow colleague mm. Sarah Neely, she is uh, wanting to go down to Lancaster and show me the various archive, there's letters there's different old cinematic objects mm-hmm. that will have sounds yeah. um, there's recordings as well of people talking uh, so there's the, the, I think there'll be a lot to go through and basically, I think it's up to me. Wow. So I don't know quite how I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'll, have, I'll have a lot of listening to do and mm. a lot of research. Uh, and I don't even know what part of Glasgow or parts of Glasgow I'll mm. be in. Awesome. Well, that's exciting. I know, it is. So that's going to last a year, whenever that starts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll have to wait. It'll be this autumn at yeah. some point. It'll take me a year. But what uh, Janie Ann McCracken and I have also done <laughs> just a few weeks ago is that we went to the Japanese garden at Cowden mm-hmm. near Dollar and we went round and uh, did some sound recordings of um, the volunteers there. You know, there's a, a, a gravel garden, which is very zen, so... There's lots of bird life, there's um, a lake, and uh, just so we're going to be doing something with that once we can get our hands on some kit. Brilliant. We're also going to be going on, <laughs> it's something like a rickshaw, but it's got 
three wheels. Mm, okay. I don't know. Okay. But that's round... Uh, no, that's at Kinross, mm-hmm. Loch Leven. So we're geared up for that. So people are waiting for us. So I'd, that will be probably hysterically funny. That's brilliant. I'd <laughs> like to see that. Yeah. So we're we're wanting to do some some podcast mm-hmm. yeah. material. Um, we've already done one, which is hasn't hasn't really been published or broadcast or anything, um, which is very silly. But oh. you know, oh. you know, it sounds great. Or it sounds really interesting. <laughs> I think I think we want to do more of that because. Mm-hmm. You know, suddenly we talked for half an hour without realising it, yeah. and it's just a lot of nonsense. But that's some of it was quite funny. Yeah. Well, we'll look forward. We'll look, certainly look forward to hear, hearing that. And in terms of your own art and things, are you? Well, I mean, that's practically what you what you are doing anyway. But mm. do you are you still painting? Will you still be exhibiting and that sort of thing? What's what's the future? What's your sort of thoughts on that as you as you go forward? Well. um at the moment, um, my my paints are tucked away just because I've been mm-hmm. doing more stained glass. Yeah. Um, I'm not quite sure where the next thing comes. Uh, I know it's quite difficult to to sell materials like that. Not everybody will want a big panel. Sure. Um, I've done some some actually quite big panels of uh, stained glass, which I'm actually quite proud of. And yeah. people say, "Oh no, that's fantastic." As long as my soldering gets better, then that's fine. <laughs> Small tent. <technique. laughs> I know. It's fine. But what I also do <coughs> is I collect lots and lots of sea glass. Okay. And wow. um, I make things. Right. I make jewellery. I've sold some things oh, wow, right. before. Um, okay. But I'm also looking to uh, expand that. So I, I work with wire mm-hmm. and glass and oh, various wow. things. So. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I just like making things. It sounds like you're retiring from your job to actually take it. It just sounds like that was getting in the way of your life. So It's true, actually. Freed yourself up a little bit. Yeah. No, great. It's just, most of there's a kind of recurring theme in that is just to be making and doing things. Creating. Creating stuff. Creating, yeah. yeah. And I've I've done some different kind of sound work with uh, other people. Two sort mm-hmm. of collaborations. So there's this poet Nelini Paul, mm-hmm. and she came in and recorded uh, one of her, her poems, which had been based on a walk up in Orkney, mm-hmm. and um, I edited it and put sound around oh. it, and that was a that was broadcast on Radio Frenia. I've had quite a few things on Radio Frenia over the years, which is the arts pop up. Radio station in Glasgow, uh, so we did that, and also um, Pathfoot Sounds. Mm-hmm. Janie Ann and I have worked quite a lot with uh, Scotland Sounds, which is part of the National Library of Scotland. <laughs> Things come full circle, yeah, yeah. and they have a fantastic archive. Uh, but they have used some of our work as well as part of the uh, the Heritage World Heritage Day. So. Um, so that's that's quite fun. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're there's still agencies that we we like to keep in touch with and just work with in terms of sound being anything at all. It doesn't always have to be journalism. Doesn't have to be no. news. No. Doesn't have to be drama. It can be something other. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm quite happy still doing that, and hopefully um, a piece that I've done um, as part of the 
the Justice Journeys mm-hmm. will also be played. I've, I've, sure. I've got, I've done something there. I've written something myself, and mm-hmm. I've also um, put sound around it. And you mentioned the ex- the exib- exhibition that's coming up. Yes. Where, where can we? Where might we see that? I think it's going to be at the Scottish Parliament, okay. um, and I think the Women's Library in Glasgow was also mentioned. Okay. We'll find out more soon. The Scottish Government have been involved with Glasgow University as part of this uh, this research. Mm-hmm. So um, the people that have been spoken to uh, have been asked to to create things and. Partly, the creative aspect of this uh, is going to be looked at very closely. So, fantastic. So, yeah. Well, Susie, thank you so much for giving me some time and sharing all the work you're doing. And it okay. seems to be you've got a lot. And it's funny you talked about you know being old, which is not true. And uh, but you've obviously you've had an excellent career, and it sounds like you're. It must be is an exciting step just to be now moving into to something else. And I think so. I think so. I mean, you know, teaching. Um, students for them to do their best and to get real pleasure out of what they've produced has been fantastic but actually I've missed doing it I've never had enough time so now hopefully I will Susie thank you for telling us how you ended up here thank you Jamie that's all for this episode thanks very much to Susie for her time you can follow Susie on Twitter at Susieverse, which is S-O-O-Z-I-V-E-R-S-E. And you can also follow me on Twitter, I'm at Jamie Hare. Thanks again for listening and I'll be back soon with the next episode of How Did You End Up Here?